The coronavirus is the biggest threat this country has faced we for decades. We have asked everyone in Wales to make changes in the way we live our lives. Stay at home during this pandemic. Welcome to Journos in Lockdown. A podcast created by trainee broadcast journalists who are learning to report in a global pandemic. As we've not been able to go out and meet journalists, we've decided to bring them to you and ask them what challenges coronavirus has brought them and what the future of journalism might look like. Hello and welcome to another episode of Journals in Lockdown. My name is Hannah Woodward. I'm a trainee broadcast journalist at Cardiff University. And last week I was lucky enough to talk to BBC Wales's political editor, Felicity Evans, on Zoom. Felicity gave some really great insights into what it's like to report during a pandemic and reflected on how devolution is being portrayed in the national media. Here is the full episode and I hope you enjoy listening. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast, Felicity. Not a problem, not a problem. This pandemic has affected each and every one of us. I kind of wanted to ask you, how has COVID-19 impacted your role as political editor at BBC Wales? Well, it's funny because I started as political editor just as Brexit was reaching its crescendo, really. And last year seemed like the most incredible year for news and especially political news that I thought I'd ever see in my lifetime uh, and I, I remember at our at the political units Christmas do at the end of last year so you know we just had all the you know the, the toing and froing and the high drama of, of, of Brexit and all of that um, then we'd had the general election and we were at our Christmas do saying you know god how is anything ever going to you know live up to the drama of this story and you know within what three months wham here's coronavirus so that'll just teach us all not to tempt fate won't it in terms of asking what the next big story is going to be but um i mean and obviously it's completely overwhelmed the brexit story uh, and it's the only story in town really politically and although it's um i suppose strictly speaking speaking a health story because it's you know a public health emergency and because the um decisions about how to treat it and how to handle it are made at the highest political levels you know it's it's very much. I mean, I'm I'm of the of the view that virtually everything is political, you know. But I think you know this one is very much political with a big P because of the involvement of national governments at such a micro level, really, you know. And um, uh, it has dominated everything, absolutely dominated everything to the extent that it seems extraordinary that we even had a general election in December. I was writing something the other day, um, and I had to refer to the general election. And honestly, I was just like, God, that's unbelievable. It's unbelievable we had a general election in December. It feels like it happened 20 years ago. So it's, it's all consuming, really. Although, interestingly, I suppose it's the same story over and over again, isn't it? But with slightly yeah. different, that's, that's the thing. In, in a way that Brexit was, I suppose, although, you know, there was a time, particularly during the parliamentary impasse, when it felt like that there was a puzzle to solve. You know, if, if so-and-so votes with so-and-so, then would they have the numbers to do that? Or, you know, or if X did Y, then would Z be the result? Or would it be you know, A, B or C sort of thing? And with coronavirus, there's so much that we don't know about it still. And the decisions that have to be taken have such gravitas about them that, you know, it, it's, um, put it this way, I don't envy any of the politicians from any of the political parties for the sorts of decisions that they have to take right now and the, the weight that's, that's on their shoulders, to be honest. Very heavy stuff, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, when you were talking about Brexit and you were sort of saying, how can a story dominate more than Brexit? And of course, then coronavirus happened. 
when you know interviewing politicians about issues like Brexit, you can sit politicians down and have that you know one-on-one face-to-face interview. Um, but with lockdown rules, that can't really happen. How does conducting everything virtually impact your role as a political editor? And does that make it harder to hold politicians to account when you want you know, the answers from them? It's really interesting, the, the psychology of interviewing. And I don't know, you know whether you find this, having to do this interview, you know, and I know you've, obviously you've done others you know, in, the, in this way. And a screen is a distancing thing, isn't it? You know, it, yeah. it, it, and it's not just a physical distance, it's a psychological distance too, isn't it? And I, for years, I was a radio presenter, so I did lots of radio interviews, and it's always, it, there was always a difference in the nature of the interview. If the, if the interviewee came into the studio and was physically there and you could sort of see the whites of their eyes compared to somebody down the line and all you do is hear, because obviously you, you know, we, so much communication is nonverbal and we do pick up on visual cues a lot. And, and so the, you know, the nature of, of, of of the interview is is partly dictated by the physical circumstances in which it's being conducted and while doing this we can see each other so you know we're in our homes which has a very different connotation to us does that make us more relaxed because we're at home or does it actually put us on edge because we don't like doing this sort of professional stuff in our home so you know it affects how we feel about it and then inevitably the technical problems that come with doing this sort of thing are difficult as well you know delays on the line interrupting is a decision fraught with difficulty if there's a delay because you you don't have the to and fro of natural conversation and it just ends up sounding stilted and uh, and difficult and and can actually be pointless you know but on the other hand you still have a limited amount of time that you're going to have to cram in all the questions that you want to cram in and you still want to be able to press a point if you feel it hasn't been answered to your satisfaction so yeah nothing's as nothing i don't think anything's as effective as a face-to-face interview for all of that for the for the complete communication that you can achieve in a you know when you're both in the same place physically um, and having an exchange and being able to properly engage and all the other things they put some distance in there and they they can be barriers to a, to a proper engagement not just you know for the interviewer but I think for the interviewee as well yeah it's it's definitely weird I mean I'm in my bedroom you're in your kitchen there's definitely an odd feeling to it how have you adapted to working from home then? Have you have you preferred it or do you kind of miss that feeling of being in Cardiff Bay, speaking to politicians face to face? How how have you adapted to that then? Well, to be honest, I shouldn't say this, but I thought it'd be a bit of a dos. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not been. <laughs> oh, it'd be nice, you know, things will calm down a little bit if I'm working from home. And honestly, I've been so busy uh, and... I'm lucky because I have actually been able to leave the house most days with work um, because inevitably, because I have to do lives in studio or sometimes when we want to record interviews for TV, you know, we want to do them in a particular way, which means I have to go into the BBC in order to record the interview anyway. So I'm not confined to these four walls, which I'm grateful for, because I think that would that would have a really bad impact on my mental health, I think. I like the um, variety of, of still being able to go out, although obviously I'm based at home. So what tends to happen is today, for example, 
I was presenter's friend for the um, Welsh Government press briefing. So I, I had to go into the H. We did the studio programme. Then I did a live at lunchtime. I've now come home. We're doing this. I'll, after that, I'll make a couple of phone calls. We'll, I'll have a team meeting all via Zoom. But if I have a radio hit to do, I'll do that from home. But if Wales Today want me tonight, then obviously I'll, I'll go back into BH. You know, last week um, I had to do something for the 10, the Network 10 and the late Wales today and they wanted it down in the bay so we were outside doing that in the bay so I'm lucky that I have a degree of variety that perhaps a lot of people don't have at the moment and that mm. does help help me to cope to be honest because it does mean that I see more people at a social distance of course and um and it means that I do get a bit of variety and it does give me a little bit more of a structure to the day which I'm grateful for. yeah that sounds like having some sort of structure to your day you know keeping busy has helped you manage during these times. I mean, I've certainly found that having a structure is an absolute godsend. With your job being political editor for Wales, devolution has been a main talking point during this pandemic, especially in devolved nations. Um, do you think that this pandemic has made people understand devolution a lot more? Or do you think that it's perhaps confused things for a lot of people in Wales? I think it's brought devolution centre stage and, you know, a lot of the, there's been polling over the last 20 years or so of, of devolution, which suggests that a lot of people haven't been particularly, their understanding hasn't been particularly well developed in terms of what the Senedd is, uh, what devolution means for them, what the politicians in Cardiff Bay have control over and what they don't and all that sort of stuff. And I think what this has done is bring that centre stage. So I imagine that for people who didn't understand that, they suddenly realised, gosh, in Wales, we've got a government that can make laws. We've got a government that's making decisions about health. Um, we've got a government that isn't obliged to do whatever the, the UK government decides needs to be done for England. So I think in that sense, it's, it may have clarified some things for some people. However, I think in Wales, because... A lot of people consume London-based media, and I have to say that London-based media at points during this crisis has not been particularly good at explaining which announcements are, are relevant to England only and which aren't. I think that that has led to confusion amongst people in terms of which announcements matter to them. And I think that's been deeply upsetting for people and, and makes them very anxious, understandably so, because, you know, people are worried about this. This is a big deal and they want to know where they are and where they stand and, and what the rules are and, and, and who's deciding what for them. And obviously there'll be then another group of people who think that better decisions are being made elsewhere in the UK are being made in Wales or vice versa that Wales is doing a better job than elsewhere in the UK so they'll uh, 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 but the people who think better decisions are being made elsewhere you know may well be challenging the the devolution settlement you know I've seen tweets and commentary to that effect uh, from some people who say you know why do we have these divisions why are they necessary but after what 21 years I think that it has pushed the the devolution settlement right to the forefront now and made people more aware of it perhaps than those who aren't sort of all pointy-headed about politics really um really knew about before hmm, yeah yeah that's that's really interesting do you um ever get frustrated with the national media when you know they don't highlight devolution i mean your job is so focused on what's happening for people in wales and then when you see national newspapers with headlines that strictly only for England but you know are being bought and, and read in Wales 
Does that ever frustrate you? Yes, it can do. I mean, I've worked in London on uh, at times. I mean, some year, some years ago now on different programmes. And my experience of uh, journalists based in London is not that they don't care about any of this. And I, and I don't mean to suggest that they do. But but you are you swim in you swim in your own particular pool and when your pool and everyone else in your pool is focused on one thing you can lose the 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 sense of the bigger picture and that's as true for me swimming in my little pool as it is for anyone else swimming in there it's just that you know we notice it more in wales because sometimes things are said that that don't apply to us or that aren't accurate and that sort of thing so I, i i think all of that has has come into much sharper focus and you know people People worry when that sort of thing is wrong now because it, it does make them anxious. And, and it's always worth a question, where, where does this apply? Is this England only? That's always mm-hmm. worth a question in, in the back of, of everyone's minds. But, you know, there's a lot to think about and a lot to get your head around, admittedly, with all of this. And, you know, I, I wouldn't like to pretend that I never make a mistake about, about anything. So, you know, we're, we're all human and hopefully we're all just trying to do our best at the moment. Yeah, definitely. Um, I wanted to ask, you know, when you're conducting four reports, for example, Wales Today, how hard is it to get to the substance of reporting when, bearing in mind, perhaps some may not have the knowledge of devolution? Do you find it hard to get to the nitty gritty of the report when having to explain devolution in reports? Um, It depends what, what the story is, really. You know, if the Welsh Government has made an announcement about something... I don't have to explain that that only applies to Wales because, you know, that's my audience. So I don't need, I don't need to say, by the way, this only applies to Wales. So in that sense, you know, my job is a lot easier than perhaps a London based journalist who's trying to, to, to cover the UK as a whole. You know, I've got, I've I've got less to think about in that. Um, And I always think that, you know, when we say the Welsh government says X, Y, or Z, the fact the tag Welsh government kind of gives it away, you know, that this is a decision that's being made in Wales. Um, Where it can be tricky um, for all of us is where, you know, there's a, say the Treasury makes an announcement um, on spending on health, for example, they'll be, according to the funding formula then, a knock on uh, for Wales, but sometimes trying to work out what that is or, or whether that is in fact coming because it only comes if it's new money, not if it's already announced money and all that sort of thing. So there, there can often be a little bit of a dance there in terms of trying to make sure that, that what we're reporting is something that, that we un, we understand um, fully. Yeah. But I'd say most of the time for, for my job, it's not really a big issue. And the only really, the times I've had to address it right now are are simply because of the different approaches being taken by government. So, you know, with what Boris Johnson announced for England in terms of relaxation of travelling restrictions, that becomes relevant to Wales, largely because Wales has a very densely populated border with England. There's fantastic stats on that. Um, Something like, uh, I think it's nearly 5 million people live within 25 miles of the border on the English side, and 48% of the Welsh population live within 25 miles on the Welsh side so it's hugely densely populated border it's not that isn't an issue for Scotland because you know Scotland's got you know a lot of rugged countryside between its nearest city and the nearest city in England so Scotland's got more of a geographical barrier when it wants to do something different Um, and so then you have to explain look this is what's happening in Wales this is what's happening in England they are different but some but in a sense that is the story that's not 
a distraction to getting to the story because the story is the divergence of the approaches that the two governments are taking. So um, yeah. I feel like it's not too much of an issue. To Going back to what you said earlier about politics being a roller coaster, you know, we've had multiple general elections and a whole referendum. How do you think coronavirus will change the political landscape in Wales and the UK as a whole? That's a really fascinating question. And the answer is, I don't know. I, I think that I think that we're all at a loss, really, in terms of how all of this is going to shape society more generally as we carry on. I mean, there was that quote from the World Health Organization the other day saying that, you know, we might have to learn to live with coronavirus in the longer term if vaccines don't end up getting developed or if um, people don't develop sustained immunity with, with or without a vaccine, then we're going to have to find a way to, to live with this. Um, so what will that mean for how we, how society works and how we interact and how politics works and all that sort of stuff? Um, we've got a Welsh parliamentary elections next year. Mm. How are they going to be conducted if, if we're still social distancing? Will the party political conferences happen this autumn? Their maths gatherings, if ever, if ever you have them. So, um, I just think we're we're far too early in the process, and too much is still unknown about how we can actually come to terms with all of this to to know what any of the answers to those questions are. But you're right that we should be aware that those questions are, are there, and we we need to start getting our heads around. Yes, there's definitely a lot of uncertainties at the moment. Um, what advice would you give to those who are just starting out their careers in journalism? Um, what would you say to people who wanted to be a journalist or in particular a political journalist? What would be your core bit of advice then? Well, I think the, the main piece of advice actually I'd give is be curious. Be curious, you know, want to, want to understand things. And this is a very peculiar story, the, the coronavirus story, in that there's an element of public service about the journalism and then there's an element of scrutiny. It's, it's like a sort of a layered cape, really. You know, some of, um, some of the reporting about this, a lot of it, in fact, is about clarity, is about just people want to know what's going on and they want to know what the rules are and what applies to them and, and, and that sort of thing. And so it's a really good um, training ground, I think, uh, especially if you're learning to be a journalist, to, to concentrate on things like clarity and precision and accuracy, because all of these things really matter. And I, and I think that if you can't get small things right, it undermines your credibility for the big thing. And with something like this, where, where people really want to know and it really matters and, and, and people are really anxious about things, you know, as you cover this story yourself, I think it's really worth having that in your head. I mean, the, the question of, you know, what, what do the non-pointy-headed political obsessives want, want to know? Because ultimately, my job is not to cater to political obsessives. My job is to cater to ordinary people who've got lives to live and are only interested in politics in terms of how that politics might affect them and their family and their friends and, and wider society. And that's all about sort of how you tell that story, how clearly you communicate it. And, and I think coronavirus, because the clarity is so important, is a really good training ground. Um, so I think that's, that would be the main thing, is really sort of use it to make that a real forefront of your mind thing to think about. No, and one other thing I say is, you know, if you don't know something, you know, my, my belief is just say, I don't, you know, I, I don't know that. I mean, yeah. with something like this, there's so much that we don't know. 
and um, similarly with Brexit actually we had no idea how that was going to end and I got used to pretty much used to saying look I, I can't make any predictions here because we don't know how that how all this will end although it will end eventually and to a certain extent we're in that boat with coronavirus as well I think so I think people just want you to be clear and also as, as honest as you can be in terms of how you understand things really. Thanks again to Felicity for taking the time to talk to me and thank you for listening. Don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter, we're at Lockdown Journos, and keep an eye out for our next episode where Anthony will be speaking to Armani Ibrahimi from ITV. Until then, stay safe.